All right, 2016. And we're going to be teaching from, uh, and actually I walked up here before the scripture was read. Whoever was supposed to read it, please forgive me. Uh, But we're going to be teaching from Philippians 4, uh, verses 4 through 9. And the title of the sermon is uh, Peace of Mind in an Anxious World. And um, as we start 2016, there really is, um, if we let it, there's lots of temptations to... uh, to uh, pull us towards anxious worry. I would not characterize myself um, as a worrier. I'm, a, I'm more of a fixer. I'm more of a, of a solver. I don't typically marinate on things. But this last week, as I was uh, reading this passage and um, contemplating what the Lord would have for me, the Lord showed me that I do, in fact, uh, worry about things. And I worry about them um, quite a bit. I worry about things that are out of my control because I like to control things. The Lord gave me an opportunity this week to trust him about a situation that was completely out of my control. Um, It was meeting with somebody that that I knew had some difficult news for me, had some bad news for me. And um, and before I met with this person, I was playing the what-if game. What if they say this? What will I do? What if they say that? What will I do? And I was thinking about things that weren't true, that I didn't know to be true. And therefore, my mind started reeling. And um, and have you ever had that happen where you you start down that road and your mind just starts spinning and spinning out of control? And before you know it, you've painted a scenario that would never come true. It's It's a false scenario. Anxious worry or stress is an epidemic in our culture, is it not? It's an epidemic in our culture. Um, For anyone who is tempted to worry, and who isn't, our culture provides plenty of opportunities. 2016 provides plenty of opportunities to worry. In a recent survey by the American Psychological Association, 40% of the respondents said that in the previous month, stress had caused them to overeat or eat unhealthy foods. Nearly half of the respondents said they skipped a meal because of stress, and more than 25% of them said that they couldn't sleep because of stress. Another survey found that more than 60% of American workers worry that they will lose their jobs, and 32% of those workers worry a lot about that. Even in our schools, mothers and fathers are made to feel anxious. Parents are now told that they should worry about how many words their child hears by the age of three and whether their child has the necessary skills to be ready for preschool. Preschool teachers are expected to teach things to a two-year-old child that used to be taught in a kindergarten curriculum. The kindergarten curriculum, in turn, looks more like first or second grade used to. In short, it's a lot easier to be developmentally developmentally behind today in the world of childhood education. No wonder parents are advised to start reading to their children when the child's still in the womb. Once acquired, the habit of worry seems hard to stop. It very much is a habit. We're raised to worry, and we aren't considered grown up until we perfect the art of worry. 
Teenagers are told you better start worrying about your future. You better start worrying about where you're going to go to college. You better start worrying about what kind of job you're going to have. You see, we live in a culture of unrealistic expectations and what-ifs. Here are some of the ways that you may be anxiously worrying as we slide into another year. Will he still love me if I gain weight? How will the kids turn out? What do other people think about me? Will I ever obtain financial security? Can I take care of my family? Will I ever get married? What am I going to do for a living? Where will I go to college? Should I go to college? How long will I live? Then there's the big things, the the macro things of terrorism and foreign policy, immigration, the presidential campaign in 2016, the stock market, the economy, jobs, the federal deficit and budget, health care, environment and global warming and gun control. These are all things that are in the headlines every day that if we let them will cause us to be anxious or to have anxious worry. You see, anxious worry robs us of peace. Worry and peace are opposed to one another. In John 14, 27, Jesus told his disciples that he came to give them peace. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let your hearts not be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And if you know Jesus, Jesus came... Jesus came so that we would have peace with the Father. You see, we were, as you know, Christian, we were enemies of the cross. And Jesus came to make us friends with the Father. He came to to make peace with the Father so that we would not receive the wrath that we so deserved. So, yes, we have peace with the Father. If you know Jesus Christ, you will never receive his wrath. The bigger question for me today in 2016, if you know Jesus Christ, is that how do we live that out? How do we live in this broken, anxious world peacefully without anxious worry? Paul's got something to say to us today from Philippians 4, 4 through 9. And I'll just give you a little bit of context. Paul is writing this letter to the Philippians from jail. Um, Paul knows trials. He's writing to a group of Christians who are facing tremendous opposition from enemies who oppose the cross of Christ. Their church is experiencing rivalry and disunity, and one of their key leaders almost died twice. And here we are in chapter 4. This is it's just a, we're not going to be spending any time in Philippians beyond this. This is, a, this is a sermon on peace, and this is the best passage. Well, there's many, many passages, but this is a passage with low-hanging fruit for us here today. And as Paul concludes this letter in chapter 4, he reminds his friends in Philippi, who like you and I are apparently prone to anxious worry, he reminds them, and he says this to them in verse 4. He says, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say, rejoice. 
Notice he doesn't say rejoice in your circumstances. He didn't say rejoice that you're being persecuted. He didn't say rejoice that I'm in jail. He says rejoice in the Lord. That simply means to be glad or to be of good cheer. And I'm going to talk about that more in just a little bit. In verse 5, though, he says, Let your reasonableness, or some of your versions say gentleness, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. What reasonableness means is it means that, we, that you seek the best of other people. You think the best of other people. You extend mercy or leniency toward the faults and failures of others. Think about the most joyful person you know. Just let that, that name or that face come to mind. What do they exude? What do you see in their personality? How do they treat others? I would submit to you that they think the best of others, that a joyful person thinks the best of others. They seek the best for others. When treated unjustly, they don't retaliate. They are gracious and humble. They actually smile a lot. I was just thinking, we watched... Um, don't have my computer turned off, and I just got a text. Sorry about that. I was thinking about... Um, I was thinking about Elf when he was in the department store and he's just got this big smirk on his face. And the guy, his boss is all stressed out. He says, why are you smiling? Why do you keep smiling? And he says, I like to smile. Smiling is my favorite. And I think about when he walked in the coffee shop. He'd never been in there before, but he was just for people. And the sign in the window said, world's best cup of coffee. And he walks in there, didn't know a soul, and he says, congratulations! That's a joyful person. And, and our joy, we're going to talk about what our joy is rooted in. The reason to rejoice, in verse 5, the reason to rejoice, it says, is that the Lord is at hand. This refers to the Lord's nearness, that he has already come, he is present, and he will come again. Because he is at hand... We can, we, can, we can meditate on all he has done for us and all the promises that, and everything he promises to do. In Psalm 46, 1 through 3, the psalmist says this, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble, at its swelling. We won't fear because God is at hand. God is near. He's come. He's an ever-present help in time of trouble. Paul encourages these Christians living in a broken, anxious world in verse 6. And in, in verse 6, he makes a negative statement. He follows it by a positive statement. And then in verse 7, he gives us the result if we follow this pattern. He says in verse 6, he says, do not be anxious about anything. And I would encourage you that if you have a pen and you have a Bible and you have got to the place where you can write in your Bible that you circle anything. He says, be anxious for, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, circle everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Paul, Paul is saying, don't be anxious about anything. 
The anxiety he's referring to relates to ongoing worry and fretting. I call it anxious worry. And anxious worry comes from two things. A lack of trust in God about our future. And a lack of contentment about our present. Anxious worry comes from two things. If you are experiencing that, that churning and, and your mind is just going and going and, you're, and you've identified it as anxious worry, you can, you can identify it further that it's either one of two categories. It's either a lack of trust in God for the future or a lack of contentment for the present. We often confuse anxious worry with two other states of mind, and that's fear and anxiety. And, and there's a fear and there's an anxiety that is good. It's actually a gift from the Lord. Both of those are a gift from the Lord. They're both potentially productive, they're healthy, and they're normal. But they're not meant to be a permanent state of anxious worry. For example, fear is, is a response of fight or flight, right? It's a response to an immediate, either real or perceived, threat. And you know what? It's not wrong to protect yourself from a, a real um, or perceived threat. It's not wrong. It's not wrong, for example, to, um, to have a gun in your home if you're living in an area where people are, um, where you have the potential of being robbed or burglarized. It's not wrong to, um, to have insurance, life insurance, car insurance, home insurance, to put your seatbelt on, to eat healthier, to exercise, to work harder. You see, there's, it's, good, it's good to have a healthy fear about the ocean or, or, the, or the highway. Um, there's, there's fears that God has given us. Anxiety usually appears in anticipation of what will or might happen. It's also not wrong to anxious, anxiously anticipate the future. My son Joey's getting married. Naomi's getting married. They've got a, they've got a holy um, anxiety and anxiousness for what the Lord has. It's okay to be anxious about what the Lord might have for you. The birth of a child, a vacation, a pay raise, etc. On the other hand, anxious worry sets in when your mind starts churning and you start fretting and you do whatever is in your power to force a desired outcome. You see the difference? Here's the difference. There's, there's a wedding on the horizon. And during my engagement period, the Lord starts making it clear that this person isn't for me. But I get, I, I, I get married anyways. That's, that's anxious fretting. I'm, I'm, I'm going to do whatever it takes to make me happy. Paul tells us what to do when we are tempted to anxiously worry about anything. He says it here in verse 6. He says we're to talk to God about everything. Praying is simply and profoundly talking with our Heavenly Father. Supplication, it says, with prayer and supplication. Some of your versions say petitions. With prayer and supplication or prayer and petitions. Supplication or petitions simply means to make our requests known to God. Prayer is for our benefit. God already knows our heart. He already knows what our requests are. Prayer is for our benefit. So when the temptation to worry creeps in because of circumstances in our life that are beyond our control, Paul says, tell God. 
Ask him to protect you or a loved one. Ask him to give you what you are desiring. Whatever you request, tell him. And just a side note, there's some litmus test there. And in Psalm 36, it says um, to, uh, what's it say? It says, um, delight in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. When there's a sense when we're abiding with him, when we're spending time in his word, when we, our heart becomes aligned with his heart and we ask him what he wants for us. But whatever it is, whatever you're fearful about, whatever you're anxious about, whatever the request is, tell him. However, Paul interjects a critical attitude, a critical word that if you miss this, it's, your, your prayers are going to end up being selfish prayers. They're going to end up being complaining prayers. You're going to see Jesus as a genie in the bottle, that you rub the bottle, and you hope that he gives you anything you want. And Paul gives us a critical attitude towards snuffing out anxious worry, and we're to make our petitions and supplications with thanksgiving. Paul says, thank him for the situation that is causing the worry. You might be going, you don't know what worries me. How can I thank him for this real threat in my life? How can I thank him for things like ISIS? How can I thank him for trillions and trillions of dollars of a budget deficit in this country we live in? How can I thank him for cancer? How can I thank him for bankruptcy? How can I thank him for a wayward teenager? How can I thank him for a girlfriend or a boyfriend who just broke up with me? As I was talking to Nancy this morning, we were reminded of of an incident. I think I might have shared this before, so if you've heard it, please forgive me. But an incident that happened in our life seven or eight years ago. Uh, our daughter was married for two or three years, and we were in bed at 6 in the morning. And we got a call. And the call simply said, um, is this uh, Dan or Nancy Hardy? I said, this is Dan Hardy. And said, do you have a daughter, Natalie Hardy? I said, or, or Natalie Dibzinski. I said, yes. And he said, the next thing he said is, does she have some kind of a seizure disorder? And you can just imagine what's going on. I go, not that I know of. I say, well, she has collapsed, and she is laying between the treadmills, and we've called 911. She was at the Windsor Health Club. And Nancy and I got in the car, and we drove, and we prayed. And it was, a, it was um, the Lord led me to pray with thanksgiving. That's all I could do at that moment is to remember who God was that he loved my daughter more than I loved my daughter, that he is sovereign, he is good, and he's loving. And I gave thanks, and it was an immediate peace upon Nancy and I. Praise God, when we got there, um, everything was fine. Um, they tested her. She's not had a seizure since then. But there is something that is powerful, yet, yet um, not intuitive in thanking God for things that we worry about. And we can, be, we can be thankful only when we truly know and understand who God is and his character. There, you can't be thankful outside of that. Who would thank God for difficult circumstances if you, we did not understand who he was and, what his, and, and who his character is? 
We can easily give thanksgiving for good gifts, can we not? We can easily give thanksgiving for a healthy baby or an upcoming wedding or a $50 Amazon card on Christmas. But it's hard to give thanksgiving for hard circumstances. But we can do it because of who he is. And I want to just give you just a, just a real, we just sang about it, that he is glorious. But three words that I remember Kevin Wolf shared with us at a men's retreat four or five years ago, and they've just marked me ever since then. And the first one is to remember that God is sovereign. That means that he is in control, that he is on his throne, that nothing gets by him. But if we stopped right there, he could be a tyrant that's in control and on his throne. Secondly, he's good. He's a good God. And third, he's loving. So anything the Lord throws at me, anything that I'm tempted to have anxiety towards, I can thank him for that because he is in control. There's nothing that comes my way that hasn't passed through his hands. He's loving and he's good. I want to just read a couple of verses that illustrate this. 1 Corinthians 4, 7. What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Everything we have comes from the Lord. Romans eight twenty eight. you know this verse. And we know that God works all things. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. That a couple of verses down in verses 31 through 39, um, Paul continues. Paul just start. he was just talking about his suffering. He was talking about the pain in the world. He was talking about all the opportunities there are for anxious worry. And he says this in verses 31 through 39, chapter 8. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave up for us all. How will he not, excuse me, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If God gave us his son, how will he not give us graciously all things? Verse 33, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him. Who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor debt, nor in, or depth, nor anything in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, folks, when we turn to our sovereign, good, and loving King, and we let Him know our anxious worries, and we express our thankfulness because of who He is and what He has done and what He promises to do, we are promised, in verse 7, the peace of God. 
that surpasses all understanding, which will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And what guards or protects our hearts from anxious worries is a peace found in Jesus Christ and his character. Peace of mind in an anxious world is possible. And I want to just, just pause for a minute because um, there's actually a person that's very close to me that has, I believe, some type of, of disorder that she needs to treat um, medically to help her with her anxiety. So, so know that God gives good gifts of medication to help people that are in need of that anxiety. Um, that's between um, you and the Lord, your counselor, your pastors, and your, your spouse and whatnot. Um, so I'm here today, though, to tell you that, that along with that, or maybe even before that, that the God of peace um, has a cure for most of our um, Anxious worry for those of us that do not have some type of, of chemical um, um, condition. Um, I, I want to be so careful, and I'm, I'm probably being too careful, but I would say this, that we live in a world that our first response is to medicate, is to go to the counselor, the earthly counselor. I am for counselors, by the way, but we have a wonderful counselor who is the prince of peace, who can give us everlasting peace when we focus and understand who he is. And that he promises to never leave us nor forsake us. And that he actually died for us to give us everlasting peace. So this peace of mind in an anxious world is possible. However, we can't manufacture it. We can't manufacture it. It's not found in the temporal. It's not found in a different president. It's not found in a better job. It's not found in more frequent vacations or a larger bank account. Um, this peace that's being talked about here is not found in fishing or hiking. Let me say this. All these things that I just mentioned, a, maybe, a, maybe a different president or a better job, more frequent vacations, a larger bank account, fishing, hiking, these are all things of what's called common grace. And let me explain what common grace is. Common grace is, is that, that every human being that's ever been created, atheist, Muslim, God-lover, God-hater, was made to enjoy these things. Every human being can, can appreciate um, a new baby or a sunset or a snow-capped mountain. But what, what, what Paul is talking about here is specific grace. Specific grace that all these other things, this common grace, they can bring satisfaction, they can lead to helping us know that there's a, there's a creator out there, but they don't bring lasting peace. None of these common grace items are bad things. And they can bring a certain level of peace, a certain level of comfort, a certain level of security to our lives, but they're all temporary and they're based on ever-changing circumstances. So if you are like me in some ways, where you are doing things, good things, with the hope of finding everlasting, permanent, unsurpassed peace. It's going to be a vicious circle. It's going to end up with a thud every time. I say enjoy those things. we got a vacation coming up the end of January that Nancy and I are going to, and I can't, and I'm, and I'm anxiously awaiting it. I'm looking forward to being with my bride, but I've, I've, 
um, I'm deceived if I think that that vacation is going to give me some kind of everlasting peace. If it's going to cause me to stop worrying. The peace that surpasses all understanding is found in spite of the temporal. It is not dependent upon circumstances. It's found in a king who is good and has has a just reign that will never end. Those who know this king will find lasting peace that is independent of our temporal circumstances. Verse 8. Finally. Paul says, finally. Instead of dwelling on the what-ifs of the world, start thinking on the certainties and the realities of God's character and promises as laid out in His Word. Finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Have you ever gone down the road and you start thinking on the what-ifs? You don't even know it's true. You start thinking on the what-ifs. And what Paul is saying here is to dwell on or think on only what we know to be true, what is found in God's word. Bottom line, Paul is encouraging you and I to fill our minds with thoughts that inspire worship. Thoughts that inspire worship. And then he wraps it all up in verse 9. He says, what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me practice these things and the peace of God will be with you. Have you ever started a New Year's resolution? Whatever it is, and it lasted about 30 days? Three days maybe? Because we think just, there, there's just something magic about writing it down and, and, then, and then hoping that without a, without a plan, without practicing it, without some kind of discipline, that this, that this uh, resolution will come to pass. Well, it's the same thing with ridding ourselves of anxious worry, that there is a discipline involved. And we've all got these circumstances happening around us that are the kindling of the fire of worry. But Paul says, practice these disciplines and the God of peace will be with you. Before he talked about the peace of God. Now he says the God of peace will be with you. He doesn't ever leave us. But when we practice these disciplines of remembering who he is, what he has done, and that he's near, we have a sense of God's presence with us. Our flesh wants to worry. It seems natural and beneficial, but it really has the opposite effect. Anxious worry, folks, um, doesn't help. It injures our relationship with God and others. It keeps us focused on ourselves, our agendas, our own problems. It keeps us peering into the future, which is the domain of God. The future is not our domain. And it keeps us clinging to people and possessions that belong to him. The battle's in the mind. It's a battle of belief. When anxious worry creeps in, we need to think on what's true and practice these things. Romans 12, 12, 2 says this, do not be conformed to this world. The world says it's okay to worry, anxious worry. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And then the prophet Isaiah says, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. 
And let me just close with this encouragement, if I might. These uh, five things to consider from this verse for peace in the midst of an anxious world. Number one, identify the anxious worry in your life. Identify it. It's there. And this, this anxious trust is going to be rooted, I would submit to you, either in a lack in trust of God for future circumstances or a lack of contentment in present circumstances. Identify it. Number two, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in who he is and who you are in Christ. Number three, make your requests known to him with thanksgiving. How do you do that? Remembering that he's in control, that he's good, that he's loving. Number four, think upon certain truths. Think upon certain truths, not certain truths, but sure truths. Think upon sure truths, not what ifs. Don't speculate on, what's, what, on what has not happened yet. Then finally, practice these things. Renew your mind with the truth of Scripture. Follow the example of godly men and women. And if you're, if you're here this morning and, um, and you don't know the peace of Christ, um, this sermon is actually not for you <laughs> because you'll never be able to experience the unsurpassing peace of Christ that Paul is describing because it starts first with peace with God. So I just encourage you that, um, that, that if you are longing for this type of peace and it seems unattainable um, and you want to know more about a relationship with Christ, um, with the one who emptied himself because he loved the world. He, he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he had you in mind. And he came and lived the perfect life that you couldn't live. And he died the sacrificial death that you and I deserve to, to die. You and I are sinners. And there's no hope for you outside of the cross of Christ. But he's waiting. And he wants to make peace with you and the Father. So if you want to know more about what it means to have peace with God, talk to me after the service. I'd love to talk to you about it. There won't be any judgment. It's nothing that me or anybody else in this church attained. I didn't attain salvation. I was never good enough for it. But God wants a relationship with you so that you can have peace today with the Father, peace for eternity, and that you can have peace of mind in the midst of an anxious world. Let's pray. God, we, uh, I praise you. Um, Lord, I thank you that uh, first and foremost for, um, for my salvation, for our salvation, for our great salvation. Thank you that, um, that you rescued us from ourselves. It's, you say, Father, that you were looking for true worshipers. 
and that Jesus came to um, to make us friends with you so that we can um, not just um, exist on this planet, and um, but so that we can worship you and we can glorify you in all we say and do. And, Lord, I pray for my dear brothers and sisters um, that I get to journey with. Lord, I, I know just through talking with many of them that, that anxious worry consumes um, our lives and that we are uh, driven uh, by worry. And I pray, um, Lord Jesus, that you would um, free us from anxious worry. And that we would, on a regular basis, um, God, that you would uh, give us the courage to, uh, to bring our requests to you with thanksgiving. No matter what's going on in our life, we can be thankful for it because you are a, a sovereign, you are good, and you are loving. And God, if we ever doubt that, I pray that we would just simply gaze upon the cross of Christ where we were made friends, where the certificate of our debt was paid for in full, and where we are now uh, fully accepted and loved by the Father forever. We love you, and we thank you that you loved us first. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.